0: Zoomed in, we've narrowed it down. Boys, there's some seats over here, right there in the second row. Uh, we've been talking about dating, and because and, dating and marriage makes such a significant impact on the trajectory of our lives, this, the spiritual well-being of our lives. Uh, so we've talked about how dating is for marriage, and therefore Christians should only date and marry other Christians, but it's not that simple, right? Because it's not just a case of like, oh, he calls himself Christian, and then so I should marry him. So tonight, uh, I wanna talk about what the Bible has to say about what a godly husband looks like. What does a godly Christian husband look like? What should a Christian husband look like? Now you might be wondering, why just the husbands? Why are we not talking about wives? Why are we just talking about the guys? And that's a fair point, but just three quick reasons why this is the focus for tonight's sermon. Number one, is because I guess as a man, uh, I'm particularly passionate about this topic. I want to see our church raise up godly men who understand what God calls them to be. I want the guys of our church to stop being boys and grow up to be men, and selfishly speaking, because I'm raising three princesses, I need to make sure that there are princes around for when they're dating, when they turn 30. So, secondly, <laughs> secondly, second reason, I think, I think the reason why it's important to do this is because for men, we set the bar just far too low. We, like, even in the church, boys grow up, and as long as they call themselves Christians, and they're not too much of a jerk, we're like, sweet, that's all good to go. He's a Christian, and he's not that big of a jerk. You know, and I know we don't articulate it like that, uh, but how many times have we seen girls uh, date and marry guys who just kind of tick the Christian box and it's like, oh yeah, yep, he's Christian, so it's cool, I can date and marry him. Uh, But then what happens? Their relationship basically just leads to the death of their faith because we've set the bar way too low. And number three, third reason why we're addressing husbands tonight, um, and I might step on some toes, but God has a special high calling for husbands. Now don't get me wrong, God has a high calling for Everyone, every Christian, male or female. But Scripture specifically calls out certain roles and puts special emphases on on a high calling, high standard for them. So, for example, leaders, Bible teachers, parents, masters, husbands. Husbands are specifically called out. And that's not to downplay the role of wives in any way, absolutely not. Um, but hopefully, if I do my job well tonight, you'll understand what I mean when I say that God has a, a particular call for husbands. Uh, that's why we're addressing this topic tonight. And my goal is that for all the guys in here, uh, this might be a goal for us to, to strive for, right? Uh, any husbands here? Okay, a few husbands. Uh, for those of us who are husbands, um, we need to strive to be this kind of husband, and I'm preaching to myself too because I fall short as much as the next guy so this isn't a, a be like me message and this is a here's what the Bible is calling us to all right so' we're, for the guys like this is the goal this is what we're going to strive towards so if any of us feel attacked by like what we talk about tonight. I want to say, um, there's no reason to be defensive. We all fall short in these areas. None of us are perfect. We're all just stumbling along one step at a time, right? So let's use tonight, guys, as a chance to identify the areas of growth and pursue that. And for the ladies, um, I think generally applied, these Christian characteristics are important for every Christian, Um, but as it relates to dating and marriage, uh, this kind of, I guess, gives you a standard to look for. And to expect. So it's not just, oh, he calls himself a Christian. It's it's all good to to go. Uh, Let's raise the bar higher. And if he's legit, he will rise up and meet that standard. So as you listen, consider this about your future partner. Uh, Before he is my husband, is he showing this kind of fruit in his life? Is this the desire and direction of his life? Um, Now, before we go any further, I need to do a couple of disclaimers um, because I'm emotionally stunted and conflict avoidant. Um, First of all, um, whenever anyone talks about gender and gender roles, it's such a debated topic, and some of the stuff I say tonight might rub you the wrong way. And if that's the case, please don't come up here and slap me. If you disagree, um, that's fine. That's totally fine. I'm just going to speak from the text, and if you disagree or have a different interpretation of the text, that's fine, that's great, just know that I'm speaking from the text, that's all I'm trying to do. Or if you don't disagree with me, but you don't like the text itself, you feel like the Bible text is just a bit uncomfortable, um, know this, God is God, and he is infinitely smarter than the smartest person in this room. He's wiser than us. He also made us, he loves us, and he knows us, so he knows the best way for human flourishing. And God loves us enough to tell us how to live in this kind of way. So whenever any passage doesn't make sense to us, or we think that's off, or whatever, just remember that. God is God, and we can trust him. So um, get your Bibles out, please. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 onwards. Ephesians 5, 22, Paul says this. God, speaking through Paul, says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So Ephesians was written by Paul to the church in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey, uh, and more than that, it was a letter that was circulated among the churches of Asia Minor. So Ephesians in that sense was kind of a, a general letter, wi- wi- widely applicable uh, anytime, anyplace. So you, you get, for example, something like First Corinthians where Paul's like really specifically addressing specific things that are happening in that church. And we learn a lot from that for sure, uh, but Ephesians was very general. This is timeless and applicable to all Christians. And that the message is that Christ reconciles all people, all races, all cultures by bringing them to himself and then making them one with one another. It's doctrine, the letter is doctrine and application on how to live the Christian life in light of that. So there's, you'll see in the letter, there's, there's a lot of deep doctrine and then a lot of practical application and our text tonight comes in the second half of the book where Paul is teaching on how a Christian uh, how a Christian life practically plays out, how it looks to live like a Christian. And in this section here, he identifies three things about what a Christian husband should look like. Of course, there are other passages that say other things, but we're just sticking to this text tonight. And just to be clear from the start, we can't be too pedantic about applying everything literally to husbands, because a lot of it is specific to what Christ has done, and husbands can't do it. So for example... Um, it talks about Christ dying for our sins. No husband can do that for their wife or anyone. Uh, but this text is giving us an indication of the kind of person a Christian husband should be. And guys, remember, this is the goal. If it's not you, all good, right? We're, we all fall short in this regard, so don't dwell on how much we suck. Um, let's just use it as a goal to strive for, right? And ladies, remember, you, you're looking for, this is what I want to look for in a husband, Is your potential life partner showing signs of this? Is he headed in this direction? First of all, a godly husband, a Christian husband, bears the primary responsibility of leadership. The text says here that the reason a wife is to submit to her husband is because of verse 23. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, this is an idea called headship, and it's the idea that primary responsibility of leadership is on the husband, he bears bold, italics, primary responsibility for leadership. So it's not exclusive leadership, it's primary responsibility for leadership. So both the husband and the wife are leaders in their own ways and can fulfill whatever functions of leadership in the home, like he's in charge of the food, she's in charge of the bills, he's in charge of activities, she's in charge of vacations, I don't know, whatever. But the word, the key word is primary responsibility sits on the husband's shoulders. Uh, Let me illustrate this for us a little bit. Um, If you're a a youth leader, can you stand up, please? Just youth leaders. So any youth leader here uh, has a responsibility, uh, you can sit down now. Any youth leader has the responsibility to make the youth program happen. So for us, it's on a Wednesday. Right, that, that's their responsibility. They're all solid Christians with good brains, all functioning adult human beings. So they're responsible for making the youth ministry, the youth program, happen. They're not idiots. They're all smart people, capable people who bear that responsibility. Now, let's say for whatever reason, next Wednesday, uh, our youth ministry program turns to custard. They burn the church down, like whatever. Who bears that responsibility? Well each of these youth leaders, because they're all adults, who can make reasonable decisions, right? But who bears the primary responsibility? Well, that falls on Isaac's shoulders. So Isaac's the one that has to give an account for what's happened, because he's the one who bears primary responsibility as the youth ministry coordinator, right? He's the top dog. So Genesis chapter three is a good example of this. You don't need to turn there, but remember um, back in the Garden of Eden, when Eve got hungry, and plunge the universe into sin. Like, whose fault was that? It's Eve's fault, right? She's the one that did it. But if you look at the text in verse 9, it says, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Yo, what's going on? And yes, Eve got her punishment as well, but God held Adam primarily, key word, primarily responsible. Both punished, but he was the one that was called to give an account. So to bring it back to our text, when Ephesians says that the husband is the head, it's saying that he is the primary one who bears responsibility for leadership. Uh, This is rooted in a wider theological concept called complementarianism, um, which basically means that the two genders, and yes, there are only two, they're both fully equal in value. No one is better than the other, but they have different roles. They complement each other. It's like in football, you have a goalkeeper and you have a striker, right? One scores goals, one stops goals, and one's not any more valuable than the other, right? They just play different parts, complementing parts. So this idea of headship, according to this text, is saying that the husband's role is to lead like Christ and the wife's role is to submit like the church. Now, just to be super clear, Leadership and submission are two words that carry so much baggage, so I need us to return to the point, what I said earlier, about what that God is God, and He knows what He's talking about. He knows what's best for human flourishing, for mankind. So when God says, husbands lead, wives submit, we got to understand it as God defines it. So to be clear, good leadership is Christ-like leadership. The husband is the bear primary responsibility of leadership in a Christ-like way. So he's not a jerk, he's not the boss, he's not demanding, he's not making all these decisions on his own. Like, if you think this verse means husbands can be like, okay, sweet, I'm the boss, I can make all the decisions, and my wife just has to submit. If you think that, then you're an idiot, because that's that's bad leadership. That's not Christ-like leadership. That's bad leadership. Good leadership is considerate, it's collaborative, it's caring, it's servant-hearted. So likewise, when wives are told to submit, it's not that woman, uh, these empty-headed morons who are just expected to do whatever the man tells them to. No, it's, it's thoughtful, it's intelligent, it's smart. She's not a doormat. Proverbs 31 will tell you what a godly woman looks like, and she's definitely not a doormat. She, too, is a functioning adult who loves Christ, so she shares her thoughts and suggestions and ideas, and, and the husband and wife come to a decision together. There's a lot of truth to that saying that the husband is the head, but the wife is the neck. right? Because good, healthy leadership and good, healthy submission is collaborative, and it's done for the flourishing of one another. So when we read here, it says that husbands you lead and wives you submit, that's a better picture than I'm the husband, you obey whatever I say. Now, a lot of people will push back on this idea, what I've just spent the last four minutes sharing, of husbands lead, wives submit, by pointing out verse 21, right, verse 21, which says that we should be submitting to one another, and the argument is that wives submit to husbands, sure, but if let's take verse 21, it means husbands submit to wives as well. I'm not sure, though, and I'm going to give you three, three quick reasons why. Um, husbands submitting to wives. uh, That's not what this text is saying. Number one, Paul says this verse about submitting to one another, verse 21. He he talks about this before he said anything about marriage. right? So whatever this command is about submit to one another, he's not talking about marriage, because that comes after. In fact, what he's saying is this. Chapter five of Ephesians is all about how Christians are to live. How we live in obedience and in submission to God. We submit to God, therefore we walk in love. We live like this. So when he gets to the section of verse 21 that says, Oh, and submit to one another, he's not, it's not making a, a statement about husbands submitting to wives. It's making a statement that, yes, we live our lives in submission to God, but also there are times when we submit to one another, submit to fellow human beings. right? All that stuff before, we submit to God, submit to one another, but also in our submission to God, we sometimes submit to other human beings. And for example, he gives children, submit to your parents, servants, submit to your masters, or employees, submit to your bosses, and wives, submit to your husbands. So that's what he's saying there. Number two, another reason why this is not saying husbands submit to your wives is Because if it goes both ways, if he's saying, yep, husbands submit to wives, wives submit to husbands, if it goes both ways, then what's the point making these distinctions? Right, like, what's the point spelling it out? Why bother mentioning all of that if it just goes both ways? Like, if I said, everyone in this room gets a free chocolate bar, what does that mean? It's not a trick question, like, what does that mean? Yeah, everyone in the room gets a, a free chocolate bar. I don't then need to go around and start making distinctions. Yep, that means you get a chocolate bar, yep, you get it. Like I don't need to. Because, you know, does that does that make sense? Like there's no point making those distinctions if it applies to everyone. Paul meant that there are distinct groups where one leads and one submits. The third reason is just kind of the logical reason. If we are saying that submit to one another means everyone submit to everyone, then doesn't that mean we should advocate to parents you gotta to submit to your children. As a parent, like that, I know that is a bad idea. It, it it doesn't make sense, right? It's clearly going from one way to another. It's not just saying free free for all. So it's saying, to be clear, it's saying there are some times when sub- humans submit to God, we do that through submitting to other human beings. And this text is telling us which group submits to who. And for those who lead, husbands, parents, and masters, it's telling them how to be godly, kind, Christ-like leaders in those areas. In fact, this is an, this is an aside, but in our text, I, I know we hear um, wives submit, and it sounds like the short end of the straw, right? But I counted, and there are three commands to the wife, submit to your husband, submit to your husband, respect your husband. Meanwhile, there are at least eight implicit or explicit commands to the husband on how to be a good leader. So in many ways, um, this isn't about wives being trampled on, but it's God telling husbands, you need to lead well. It's telling husbands and parents and masters the godly way of leading that will lead to the flourishing of their wives, their children, and employees. So all of this is, is to say, the Bible is clear in saying that husbands lead, wives submit. Husbands bear the primary responsibility of leadership. So as it relates to dating, uh, since the boyfriend is not the husband, remember we talked about this two weeks ago, if you're dating, you're not married, since the boyfriend is not the husband, he is not the head of his girlfriend. Headship does not apply. So the question is, is he developing and cultivating this godly leadership in his life? Because once you get married, one day, that responsibility of headship will be on his shoulders. So are there signs of that now? For example, does he take initiative? Does he bear responsibility for things? Or does he shirk away from responsibility because it's inconvenient? Are there signs of godly leadership in his life? Number two, second point is that the godly husband magnifies Christ through his leadership. The way he leads his wife and family, displays Christ to the world. You can see here what the purpose of marriage is, and it's to display Christ. Verse 32, this mystery of marriage is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So for the Christian husband, the way he relates to his wife is supposed to display Christ. It's supposed to point people to Christ in some way. So everything that he does, everything he says, is supposed to say, hmm, That's a glimpse of Jesus. Now, you smart people know that this applies to every Christian, right? We're all ambassadors of Jesus. Everything that all of us do as Christians is supposed to point people to Christ, right? But, of course, here, very specifically, God is calling every husband to not just generally represent him and be general ambassadors in life, but here, especially and specifically to represent him in marriage. And I think the way that this is done, as the text suggests... Is through sacrificial love for his wife. Sacrificially loving his wife so that she might flourish. He is to sacrificially love so that she can flourish. It's imperative, and I guess it's obvious, that a godly husband is to love his wife. Verse 25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Verse 28. Husbands, love their wives as their own bodies. Verse 33, let each of, one of you love his wife as himself. So husbands are to love their wives like Christ loves the church. And husbands are to love their wives in the same way that they love themselves. So whichever one you want to focus on, the point remains, the husband's job is to love his wife. This is a command. And, and you, might, you might think, how are you supposed to command love like how is he just meant to like build up these emotions in his heart? How how is he meant to do that? Like what, what if he doesn't feel like it? What if I don't feel like loving my wife? Well that's the point, isn't it? That's the point. That's what this text is getting at. This love is to magnify Jesus Christ. It's Christ-like love. Remember he loved us even though we didn't deserve it. He loved us when we were his enemies. So this isn't a command to have warm and fuzzy feelings about your wife. It's a command for husbands to willfully decide to seek the flourishing of their wives, even if they don't feel like it. Even if they don't feel like it. The word for love here, as you may have guessed, is agape. Husbands are to agape, love their wives, which is like, it's a decision of the will. Sacrificially, willfully choose to love. The command here is that husbands love your wives through sacrifice. And very practically speaking, very pra- um, Sam, you can go to the next one. Very practically speaking, uh, this means that if there's a disagreement, he prefers this, she prefers this. You might think, well, he's the leader, so he gets to decide, which is kind of true, which is kind of true. Yes, he's the leader, so he decides, But what God calls the Christian husband to is he decides to die, to die to himself. He decides to sacrifice. He's the one that has to let go of his preferences. If one has to die, husband or wife, it has to be the husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ladies, if you are offended that the Bible calls wives to submit, be thankful that you're not a husband because he's called to die. Like, wives, you submit. Husbands, you die. And it's not just love for love's sake, but the end goal is for her flourishing because that's how Christ loves us. He draws us to himself, uh, not because he's an egotistical maniac, but because relationship with him is the very best thing for us. Right? Uh, That's why... God isn't an arrogant narcissist when he says, worship me, love me, serve me. He's not a narcissist when he says that because us loving him, worshiping him, serving him, that is the very best thing for us. So for, for God to say that, he's seeking our best interests in that. So the husband's sacrificial love is to serve his wife. It's for the benefit and the flourishing of his wife. Look at verse 28 and 29. The goal is to Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies to nourish and cherish. That's why I like to use that word flourish. It's all for her benefit. It's saying, hey, in the same way that you naturally, selfishly want to take care of yourself, like we automatically default, we all do that. We all want to nourish and cherish ourselves. In that same way, husbands, you got to now do that for your wives, like with the same determination and same urgency. And notice there are no conditions placed on this command. Like husbands, we we are to love our wives like this, regardless of whether she willingly submits or not. That means husbands cannot demand this submission. The submission, submitting, respecting, that's on her. That's between her and God to obey. Husbands aren't commanded to command, uh, aren't commanded to demand this respect. They're just commanded to love and lead sacrificially. So guys, are you pursuing and cultivating this in your lives? Sacrificial love. Are you a servant? Are you the guy who's going to put up his hand and say, yep, I'll die to myself. I'll die to my own preferences and desires and serve here and serve there. Husbands sacrifice their preferences so that their wives might flourish. That's why I think if there's an argument and both parties have been sinned against, then husbands have to apologize first. If you're on the bus and there's only one seat, the husband stands. Husbands, if we get home from work and we're knackered, and the wife is also knackered, but the dishes need doing, who needs to do it? (laughs) Yeah, you know who. Husbands give up their preferences he sacrificially loves for her flourishing. I want to highlight one aspect of this flourishing because it's in the text, and that is spiritual flourishing. Part of the husband's leadership responsibility is to ensure the flourishing of faith in the household. Now again, don't misunderstand me. Every Christian is responsible before God for their own maturity and faith, right? The husband and wife, each of them, they're, they're responsible for their own Bible reading, prayer, and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm not saying like women are these like helpless, brainless people that they need a man to come and help them with this stuff. No, that's not what the text is saying at all. What we are saying is that husbands are called to be spiritual leaders in the home. Look at the text. All this flourishing of the wife is in relation to her spiritual well-being. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, to be clear, it's not saying that husband's job is to sanctify his wife, uh, make her holier. No, that's each Christian and God between you and God. So when we say that husbands are to be spiritual leaders in the home, it can basically be summed up like this. Husbands, encouraging your wife in her faith is part of your job description. If you want to be a husband, that comes with the gig. Do you understand the distinction? It's not saying you are res- you are the one that has to make her holy. It's not saying that at all. It's saying if you are a husband, that is on your job description to encourage your wife in her faith. Of course, what she does with that is between her and God. Again, boyfriends, you are not husbands, so you don't have the responsibility of spiritual leadership in that relationship. But again, are the signs there? Is that the direction where this is going? Does he display signs of being a spiritual leader? Will he encourage prayer? Will he initiate spiritual conversations? Like, I've seen this time and time and time again. Like, Christian couples, it's always the woman who say, what did you think of that message? Or, what is God saying to you lately? Or, you know, it's always the woman. So, guys, we need to step up. And so, another aspect of this is like, if, if you, ladies, if you say to him, "Let's go to the, it's Sunday, let's go to the beach, will he say, man, you're tripping, it's Sunday, we've got to get to church? Will he take leadership like that? Or instead of having a sanctifying effect, does he lead you into sin? That's, that's a red flag. The picture of a godly hu- Christian husband is someone who gives up his own desires to see his wife flourish. So if a boy is leading you into sin, That's not cool. That's a flag. Now, I get it. I get it. It makes sense that two people who are attracted to each other will get frisky. I'm not condoning it. I'm not endorsing it. I'm just saying I understand. But self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Every Christian can exercise self-control. So if a boy isn't showing signs of growing in self-control, flags. In fact, in Titus, in Titus, Paul gives... uh, Paul gives Titus instructions to, to the churches in Crete of like how Christian households are supposed to run, how the church is supposed to run. And he gives instructions for older men, older women, younger men, younger women. And he gives all sorts of things. But to the younger men, there's just one thing he says. He's just one thing. He says, urge younger men to be self-controlled. That's it. That's the one key thing he says, that young godly men, need to pursue. So godly husbands will kill their own preferences, kill their own desires for the sake of their wife's flourishing, while boys will seek their own interests even if it leads their girlfriends into sin. Guys, we've got to grow up. We've got to stop merely being boys who can shave and it's time to grow up to be men. If we're to be men of integrity, if we're to be husbands who are spiritual leaders in the home, we got to get serious about spiritual growth and knowledge. we we got to love Christ and pursue Him and that's got to be evident in our lives because you can't lead, anywhere, lead anyone anywhere if you're not going there yourself, right? I can't lead you from A to B if I myself ain't going from A to B. So guys... Come on, we can do it, it's time to step up. God has given us his spirit and we can trust him, he's given us his word, Like this is doable. We can step up. Finally, we're almost there. A godly husband commits himself to his wife. It's pretty obvious after all of that, right? Of course he's committed to his wife. Verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. What you'll notice in that text is that it says, he is the one who leaves his mother and father. He's the one who's holding fast to his wife. There is a set of new allegiances, and it's deliberate. He is loyal to her. He commits to her. There's no, nah, I'm out when things get tough. He is committed to his wife. Lads, this is something that is desperately, 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 needed in today's day and age. Because everyone is so flaky and non-committal about everything, right? I mean, just honestly, if, ask anyone who has tried to plan an event, and they'll tell you, like, why can't people just commit? You know? This is the world that we live in. So guys, if we can learn to be committal to things now, and start cultivating this now, you're setting yourself up well for marriage as someone who is able to commit. Ladies, as you consider dating and marriage partners, look for this. Are there signs that he can commit? Right, And don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by the fact that he's saying he's committed to you. Because that's easy for him. It's easy to commit when it's fun and there's endorphins flying around, right? That's easy. But can he commit to other things? Like, can he commit to events? Does he commit to faithfully show up and serve at church every week? Does he keep his word? Man, it's a massive he, one. Does he keep his word? The Christian husband bears the primary responsibility of leadership. He has to sacrificially love his wife so that she will flourish and Christ will be displayed and he must stay committed to his wife. Now, obviously, life is messed up and there's sin everywhere. So just because there are broken marriages or someone fails in this way it doesn't mean that they're a terrible person or that they're not a godly husband or whatever, listen, life is super complex. But my point is that this is the goal. I know it's not always black and white like this, but this is the goal, lads. This is what we can strive for. Ladies, set the bar up here. Let, let the guys come up and meet you there and look for and expect these, these kind of godly traits from your future partners. And guys, um, as we pursue this, we will inevitably fail um, but that's okay, it's okay because the grace of God means that we can get back up and keep trying without the fear of God's condemnation on our shoulders because what does Romans 8.1 tell us? Yeah. For those of you at the back who didn't hear the, the front row, Romans 8.1 tells us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So every time we feel like, man, I'm a stink husband, or, I'm a, or those qualities aren't there, it's okay. We repent, we get up, we, we carry on again. There's no condemnation. God has given us his word, his spirit, his people to help us along the way. So we just keep doing our best to try to honor God and our partners in pursuit of this godliness. And uh, there's again, 50 million more things we could say, um, talk to me over dinner. Lord, thank you for your word that you uh, have given that word to us. Your external word, we don't have to worry about uh, this or that and these, our feelings or, or what you might be saying to us. We have it in your word. God, thank you. And Lord, I want to pray for all the men in this room. Some of us are husbands. Help us to live up to this. For those of who, who, who aren't married yet, Lord, would you uh, help them in their quest to, that they might be husbands like this when they get married. Lord, help us, our church, that all of us might grow in in holiness and our love and devotion for you, that we, through every aspect of our lives, will magnify Jesus Christ in all that we say or do. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?